This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The newly appointed chair of the Immigration and Refugee Board, Richard Wex, has confirmed that there are about 65,000 pending claims at the Refugee Protection Division that are backlogging our systems. And even if no cases are added, that would apparently take over two years to clear all these cases. He apparently also said that uh, this fact in itself could encourage others to enter at those irregular crossings. So uh, is this a surprise? What are we supposed to do about this? uh, If anything, uh, I'm going to bring in Giddy Mammon, who is an immigration lawyer. Hello, Giddy. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Great, great. So is this a surprise to you, this number? Uh, no, not at all. It's uh, it's about right. I would disagree. I would disagree a little bit. Uh, I think uh, Richard Wex was suggesting it might take over just a little bit over two years. It's, it's likely to take about three years to clear this at the rate that they're processing uh, claims right now, which is about twenty one thousand uh, per year. Um, so I think it's going to take a little bit longer than two years. I think that's a bit optimistic. And keep in mind that that whole assumption is that we don't get a single refugee in the next two years, which is not at all realistic. We're going to get a lot more. So that number is actually increasing. Uh, So we're going to have a backlog for a considerable amount of time. Okay. Uh, So you're saying it's not two years, it's more like three years. What can be done about this? So so first of all, uh, what, um, you know, how many people would we need on this job, if we if we decided, okay, we want to clear this backlog, what are we talking about here? Well, you have a number of challenges. Uh, first of all, you need judges. You need the uh, Refugee Protection Division uh, board members who are going to hear these cases. You need courtrooms. Uh, you need interpreters uh, in um, a myriad of uh, languages. Um, you need lawyers who are going to be able, who are going to be available to uh, represent clients at that time. You're going to need uh, funding from legal aid uh, to fund uh, those lawyers. Um, it's a big project. You can't just turn on a switch, flip a switch, and you have the resources. It takes a lot of time, and we're not really sure how long this flow is going to go, because right now, as you know, we're getting a very strong stream of people who are crossing. Uh, between our ports of entry from the United States and coming into Canada. So is someone going to shut off the tap by enforcing the border? Or are we going to get many, many thousands more coming if, for example, the White House decides uh, to cancel uh, the temporary uh, uh, protected status, the TPS status, for you know up to hundreds of thousands of people who are enjoying uh, protection from that status in the United States? So it's very hard to plan because there's so many uh, factors involved. So it would be difficult to go out and hire judges uh, for claims that may be, uh, you know, um, 
uh, slow down if the government changes course on its policy, its open border policy right now. Ross, do you have a... Yeah, I have this to say. I, I've, I've listened to Giddy now for about five years or so since I've heard him cover it, and there is nobody who understands this issue better or is more practical in telling you what's going on than Giddy. I know, I know that about you. And when you talk about the flow and the infrastructure needed to deal with these cases, people need to understand that that is a real constraint on it. And I also believe, Giddy, uh, prior, did you not actually go down to Washington to testify before Congress about immigration at one point? Yes, I did. I, I testified about the uh, security challenges um, raised by the um, the Trudeau plan to bring in a large number of Syrian refugees in a very short time frame. The United States was very concerned about the security implications of that, what what that might mean for the United States. And they needed somebody from up here who understood uh, what's going on in our system so that they can figure out what their system is going to look like uh, after afterwards. Uh, I'm all for practical solutions as opposed to ideological ones. I'll give you my bias on just about everything. Uh, So the opposition says if we close this loophole in the safe third party agreement, the loophole being that uh, that if they cross at a uh, at a crossing that's not a real border crossing, they can just come in. Uh, Do you agree with that? Is that a solution? Not at all. Uh, it'll actually make the situation much, much worse. We're in the exact same situation with the safe third country agreement as we are with NAFTA. And you saw how that turned out. Uh, Canada got an exceedingly good deal on NAFTA. When that, that uh, uh, treaty was negotiated between Canada and the United States, Canada received extraordinarily favorable uh, treatment. And now the United States is not in such a generous mood, so we can only do much worse under the NAFTA um, negotiations, and that's what's happened. The Safe Third Country Agreement also is very, very heavily tilted in favor of Canada. How so? It was designed to prevent people coming to Canada and making refugee claims where they believed they had a better chance to make a claim successfully in Canada, which has always been true and continues to be true. So if you were to scrap the Safe Third Country Agreement, which is what people are talking about, what that means is then not only can you make uh, a refugee claim between the, the ports of entry, but you can also make them now at the proper port of entry. So it gives you more uh, access to refugee claim. Uh, so that will not stem the flow. That will increase the flow. So now you can just pull, you know, you can just get on, you know, get into a car, drive, you know, down the highway to, uh, uh, to, um, you know, uh, uh, to Niagara Falls or, uh, or whatever, and you can just present yourself at the port of entry and make a refugee claim, and you will be eligible. But the, wait a minute, they're, I don't think they're talking about scrapping the whole agreement. They're talking about closing this loophole in it. You're saying, are you saying that you can't do that? That's not going to happen. A hundred percent, that's not going to happen, because right now the, the Americans are benefiting from the safe, the safe third country agreement loophole. Why would they close it? If they close that loophole, they're going to have to now deal themselves with those refugee claimants in the United States. Right now, there are thousands and thousands of people leaving the United States to make their claim in Canada. That is a tremendous cost saving to the United States. It reduces their, the, the adjudication of these claims, enforcement of these claims, uh, removal costs, 
any social assistance that they may be entitled to, medical care. So why on earth would the United States agree to that so that now when they go to Canada to essentially self-deport themselves to Canada, why on earth would the Americans agree to that, given who is in the White House today? That is just not a deal, I think, that um, the Americans are going to go for. I, I just think that that is completely unrealistic. And they would have to agree to it? If, well, I mean, this is... Bilater- yeah. it's, it's a bilateral agreement between Canada and the United States. Both parties have to agree. So why on earth would Donald Trump agree to protect Canada at the expense of the United States? It, it makes no logical sense. We have no bargaining position. Because imagine the situation. Who on earth um, would prefer to make a refugee claim in the United States versus Canada? Uh, Canada these days? <laughs> no, nobody. nobody. Uh, you know something, though. He echoes something. Don't we have... Maybe all- Melania's parents. <laughs> don't, don't we also have this going on within our borders? When a lot of these refugees who are coming in, they, they come in, they go to settle in uh, Quebec, but they, don't, they just come right to Toronto, right? And so we can't even control the flow within our own borders of where these people are going. I and think I, we are sending them to other places that maybe yeah, can accommodate them a bit more. I'm not even... Even but, sure what's happening. But what we used to do in the past, we used to buy them bus passes to go to the people. Some cities would buy bus passes. Go to Toronto and make your claim there. We don't. It's cheaper. They'd buy you a free bus pass. The 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 thing is, it makes absolutely no difference where the person crosses into Canada. Uh, within Canada, they have complete freedom of, mo- of mobility. Most of them are simply put on what we call terms and conditions, which means they simply need to advise immigration authorities where they're living. But they, if they enter through Quebec, they could easily end up in Toronto overnight. And the situation is, quite frankly, that it doesn't matter what stream of immigration you're talking about. I don't care if it's investors, if it's spouses, if it's refugees, if it's humanitarian cases. About 40, 45 percent of every single person who walks into Canada looking to resettle will end up in Ontario somewhere around the GTA. Why? Because there's jobs here. That's a strong, strong pull factor. So as you were saying before, well, they're, you know, they're sending them to other locations. You can spend a bus ticket and send somebody from Toronto to North Bay or to Sudbury or wherever it is that you want to send them. But if they don't find a job there, they're going to come straight back to Toronto. And there's nothing that you can do about that. Uh, so let if, me you ask know, when you. you see people coming, you know, when you see people coming down Roxham Road into Quebec, right, if you think that's a Quebec problem, that's not a Quebec problem. That's a a very much so Ontario problem. Uh, let me just ask you this. We're starting to run out of time here. Of the 21,000 that are adjudicated every year, how many uh, are considered to be real refugees? How many are not? Uh, historically, it has always been just under 50%, anywhere from 40, 45, 48% in that range. And of course, it depends on what's going on around the world. The more conflict you have, theoretically, that acceptance rate should increase a little bit. But in, in reality, the board seems to be very comfortable with something in the 40% range, regardless of what's going on uh, around the world, whether we're seeing a, an, a, you know, an explosion of violence or whether we're seeing uh, steady peace. It, it seems to always hover somewhere around the 40% mark. And uh, Giddy, we uh, only have about a minute left, but uh, do you have a, a solution for this? The reason that we have a problem right now is simply because we have a government for the first time that I've, I've ever known that doesn't enforce the border between ports of entry. 
uh, I've never known that to be the case. Uh, I've always known that if you go there, they'll try to resist your entry or create a barrier to prevent and discourage people from coming there. That would be the obvious solution. But that would, be, that would look very Trumpian right now to build a wall or a fence or anything that looks like a fence. And so Justin Trudeau has put himself in a very, very difficult corner, and he's not going to be able to get out uh, without tremendous political cost. And that's the problem. He, he issued a tweet that says, you know, we're, we're, we're Canadian, we're wonderful people, we welcome everybody. Uh, he, he doesn't want to ruin that brand. And if he tries to enforce that border, that's what's going to happen. He's going to look very Trumpian at that point. Okay. Giddy Mammon, thank you so much for shedding light on that. And uh, Ross McLean, my co-host today, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Much appreciated. There is uh, a lot to think about uh, that we have heard today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.